welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hello again and welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. Uh, we've got a couple of great guests lined up for you this week. A little bit later on, we're going to be hearing from the World Rugby Chief Marketing Officer, Marissa Pace. She's talking to Stephen Impey, who's out there in Japan for the Rugby World Cup, uh, and he got some of her thoughts on how the tournament started and on the governing body's plans for the next few weeks. Before then, we're going to be talking about France and its moves towards the centre of the global sports industry uh, with Lucien Boyer, who is the founder of Global Sports Week and will be well known to most of you as the former global president of Havas Sports and Entertainment and the former CMO at Vivendi. Before that, uh, I wanted to direct your attention to a few things that we've got coming up on the content side of things at Sports Pro. Just launched this week a white paper that we've put together in association with Imogen. Content is queen, digital lessons from women's sports. We've got insights from the likes of Marjana Bogdanovic of the FA, uh, Claire Briegel at the International Netball Federation, and Rebecca Smith at Copper 90. And we've incorporated the views of over 300 sports professionals to explore the relationship between content distribution, technology, and the rise of women's sports. You can download your copy of the white paper at sportspromedia.com. Some other great editorial across the site. Uh, German Soccer's Bundesliga announcing this week that it's going to take its US TV deal exclusively to ESPN+, Plus, the Disney OTT service that, of course, we've discussed on the podcast in past weeks. Sam Karp was in Germany at the weekend. He was taking in a Borussia Dortmund game and a conversation with some of the principals behind that deal to understand a little bit more about why the league has gone OTT in the US. Michael Long, meanwhile, has been putting the finishing touches to the next issue of Sports Pro magazine. It's the annual broadcast edition. Some fascinating deep dives into themes and companies, trends throughout the sector. Um, I had the privilege of speaking recently to John Skipper, the executive chairman of DAZONE, uh, and Maverick Carter, co-founder of Uninterrupted. Um, we've got a look at interactive uh, video content, a special report on the US sports industry, a look behind the scenes at Delta Tray with Mike and Sam Karp, and plenty besides. Look out for not just the print issue, but some of those features turning up on sportspromedia.com in the next few weeks. On the subject, of course, of the broadcast industry, it would be remiss of me not to remind everybody once again of the Sports Pro OTT Summit, the third annual Sports Pro OTT Summit out in Madrid from the 19th to the 21st of November. I'm not going to run through all the uh, speakers and delegates again, but Needless to say, there's plenty of high-caliber appearances expected, and you should head to sportspro-ott.com to find out how you can get your pass to that if you have not done so already. Right, this week's pod, now between Euro 2016, uh, the Women's World Cup this year, Rugby World Cup in 2023, and of course the Paris 2024 Olympics, France is going to become more and more influential in the global sports industry uh, and someone who has recognized that and intends to commemorate that and to contribute in his own way is Lucien Boyer, who is the former global president of Havas Sports and Entertainment. He is the former CMO of Vivendi, but he is the founder of Global Sports Week, which is a new event 
for the sports industry to be based in Paris at the Louvre uh, each year from next February. It's backed by Emmanuel Macron's government um, and it hopes to bring together leaders from the business of sport, uh, the business of media and entertainment and other walks of life as well to talk about how the sports industry can adapt to new challenges and shape the society around it. Luciana, of course, has wide-ranging experience from the agency world, and, and we also got into a conversation about how sport as an industry is changing, how sport as a media proposition is changing, uh, some of the ways in which rights holders need to think about their intellectual property, uh, think about their relationship with an audience, some of the things that can be learned from other industries, like music and entertainment. Let's take a listen. Okay, so Lucien Boyer, welcome. Yes, thank you for having me. A man who's worn many hats, shall we say. You could say that. <laughs> um, former CMO of Vivendi, former head of Hava Sports and Entertainment, um, currently founder of Global Sports Week in Paris. Um, we're sitting here, we're in the, uh, in, in the Renaissance Hotel at St Pancras, which, you know, is kind of very symbolic of that journey from London to Paris. Is, is the sports industry making the same journey at the moment, do you think? Well, that's a very good point. Um, I think that there would be, for, for me actually, this place is a place where I go and come. Mm -hmm. So it's a commuting place, it's not a one way. And I think that this is exactly what the sports industry is going to do as much as uh, people like me. Um, uh, going and coming and uh, sharing. So I think that there is a lot for the sports industry to gain from uh, collaboration and especially uh, Franco-British collaboration will be uh, always a very good win-win collaboration. Yeah. How would you, bef before we talk about Paris specifically, how would you characterize the differences between the British sports industry and, and the French sports industry? Hmm. So I think that the British sports industry um, has followed the um, uh, two, uh, two specific criteria that we have less in front. The first one is that uh, most of the modern sports have been invented in the UK, so you follow actually quite uh, uh, naturally the, um, the legacy of the early uh, days of uh, modern sports organization, uh, governing bodies, rules, of the games, a lot of um, elements that uh, gives um, this place a very legitimate role in global sports, especially spreading those sports around the world. So that comes to the second point, which is more the fact that the uh, UK has always been a global place. Mm. And with the rise of modern um, and more professional sports, um, I think that uh, the um, sports industry in the UK have been um, uh, quicker to, uh, to become more global and to um, um, export the know-how that you have been uh, um, building up in the UK with the growth of all sports. Mm. I think that the UK has a legitimate place to um, claim yeah. uh, to be um, the center of the world. Uh, this was less the case for France. We have something as far as legacy is concerned. And he's, an, uh, he's Mr. Pierre de Coubertin, so we have our own part. And the FIFA has been 
uh, also uh, created in France, and UEFA has been created by Le Journal L'Equipe, for the one who have uh, forgotten about that, that was in the 50s. So there are a few things that are also linked with the, the roots of sports. But I don't think that has translated into a proper industry mm. until very uh, recently. Mm. And uh, I think that people realized in France uh, later through some big events that we could provide something strong in the global sports um, scene. It came from the Tour de France. That was a century ago, so I think this is a good one. But it became international quite recently. It was very French for a long, long time. French, Belgium, very close by, but it's only when the uh, Americans started to be to, to be competitive, Greg Lemon winning, and then the UK with yeah. the race of the Sky Team and so forth, that it became really more international. And same with uh, the French Open, but this is one of the big Grand Slam like Wimbledon. And also, um, I think that when we organized the Albertville Games in 92, then we realized what it took to become global. And then the World Cup in 98 was really the wake up of France to become a global power in sports. Yeah. So a little bit later than the UK. Yeah. But I mean, both, um, you know, there's, there's been almost uh, a replication, or we're about to see a replication in France of what we've just gone through in the UK with a decade of, of major events. Uh, the UK is kind of just. I say just finishing, but of course we have the Euros in, in 2020 and 21 with the women's event. But we've gone from, you know, the London Olympic Games through Rugby World Cups, Cricket World Cups, World Athletics Championships. In France, you started this kind of second phase with Euro 2016 um, and it will finish with, with Paris 2024. How, how will the industry be different today from the one that, that hosted that World Cup in 1998? I think sports is a, it's, it's a reflection of society in general, and it's the same for the um, economy and the um, industry. So I think that France is different from 1998 as a whole, and we are now uh, ready to evolve in uh, keeping our cultural roots and, and, and language, but much more open to the international um, work um, standards and that starts with the language so I think that this is a very key point you can't really uh, measure it from London but in Paris when the, the working language of people in the daily job is French only then it's more difficult to adapt when it comes to international stakeholders that come to uh, Paris to um, look for um, suppliers or experts or whatever if it's an effort for people to speak mm. French, that's a barrier. And on the other side, if French people can't really uh, share the, the know-how because they can't translate it into English, which is the working language for everyone in the world, that's, a, that's an issue. Nowadays, 20 years from the World Cup um, uh, back in 98, uh, I think things have evolved and are evolving faster, yeah. including our leadership, political leadership, who now uh, believe that it's good to keep our cultural roots, but it's also good to be performing better globally. And that goes with the English-speaking skills. So yeah. it's, it's, it seems to be a detail, but I think this is one of the strongest assets of the um, British or the French. Yeah, it's I mean, the, it's, it's a detail, but it's one that also speaks to something that happens in the wider world, which is historically French was the language of diplomacy, diplomacy yeah, and English became the language of commerce, partly because... 
of, of our friends across the Atlantic. But what's happened in sport, it seems, is that French and France and, you know, neighboring countries, Belgium, Switzerland, have been the center of administrative power in, in international sport. It's true. But the US and latterly the UK and, and Germany have kind of taken on that, that business mantle a little bit more. Is that, would that be fair in that maybe now France has had an opportunity to catch up on the other side? Yes, well, I think you're absolutely true. I think that France has understood that if we were able to um, adopt the, um, these details, so speaking English, will help us to be at our place instead of trying to be different, but at the end, uh, not being part of the round table because everybody was speaking English. So at the end of the day, what happened, and the difference is now people can work in, in English, uh, even in France, and that is going to uh, make a big change in our capability to really play a bigger role, and especially with the international world. If you think of other industries, um, I think of the fashion industry, the luxury industry, the uh, aerospace industry, a cosmetic industry, you have a lot of French companies that became world champion and that are really uh, leading the pack. If you think of the LVMH group, of L'Oreal, of um, uh, Dassault or others. Um, and so because those people, they understood that the world was global and even if we provided French cultural um, uh, input to the world, there is something about French touch, French flair, whatever, it has something different from the British side of the channel, which is good, it's different. But at the end of the day, it used exactly the same uh, uh, marketing skills or industry startups, financial skills, whatever. So sports leaders in, in France now got it, and it started a few years back. So it's mm. not like if we were waking up now, it's, it's been prepared. So I think we are now in a mature uh, stage where well, we can use that um, professionally and uh, in a better way. So yeah. there is a catch-up momentum, yeah. obviously. So let's, let's talk about Global Sports Week just to, for a moment. So what's, uh, what, what, what are we talking about? What is Global Sports Week, first of all? Well, it's a new rendezvous that we wish to um, offer to the uh, world ecosystem to raise sports on the global agenda of leaders. So it's not just about sports leaders, it's also uh, leaders of um, major business and society in order to uh, identify all those transformation that sports is uh, going through because of the world transformation. So there is a direct impact of those transformation to sports. And we believe that sports should definitely be open to those um, learnings from different walks of life so to adapt. But on the other side, it's also a recognition of the role and the influence of sport in society at large. And that, we believe, is important for um, the future of sport in order to have uh, more respect, more understanding from different um, rulers and, and different uh, stakeholders to, re to, 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 to um, uh, protect the legacy of the values of sports because it's not a, a commercial good like any other. Mm. It has some uh, rules and values that needs to be respected. So this place should be a platform for um, uh, learning, for networking, and for influencing. Mm. And we believe that there is a, a need and a, an opportunity for Paris to host this place for the reason you mentioned before. It's the start of a momentum that is quite interesting. So it's not interesting to come to Paris when you are interested in big sports uh, business. 
and Paris could definitely be a place to host this rendezvous, which also has a, a role in order to lead some uh, business solutions with a purpose as to align sports with the demand of a new generation. Mm -hmm. and that's the key point. I think that we are at a moment where a new generation is really changing the rules of the game in every uh, type of industry. And it's time for sports to be aware of that and to be confronted by this new generation. So that, that, that's why we want this rendezvous to be of a different kind. Yeah. So every year it's going to be a moment of reflection, a moment to set the agenda of the year to come. And we will definitely be there every year until the games mm -hmm. uh, and after as well. But during that time, it's going to contribute to the build-up of those moments and the Rugby World Cup before that and the um, Ski World Championship that mm -hmm. will also happen in France because you have different type of sports coming up. So it's interesting to be uh, contributing to this uh, momentum. Yeah, it's also backed by the French government. Uh, the Macron government has been quite um, self-conscious in positioning France as a new tech center, a new, as you say, more outward facing in, in terms of its, its relationship to business around the world. How far is this an extension of, of that ambition? Well, I think it, it fits totally the, 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 the strategy and the ambition that you've just described. I think that it's, it's the, the reason why the French government backed this event, it's because it's definitely uh, one of the many elements, and it's very uh, humbly just one of them, but it is one that can be useful because it's a place where leaders of the economics, of the, um, the leaders of the business of sports, but beyond, are going to come to France, and France is going to play a global uh, role in this multilateralism exchange that we we think are important. Um, I think that again, the French government, the, the French government is very aware of soft power and the way you can definitely play a stronger role if you are contributing to the global conversation. Mm. So I think that. Uh, uh, President Macron is uh, very uh, uh, connected uh, and, and he is uh, willing to uh, push the kind of initiative that can put France forward in this uh, advanced stage of, of different industries. Sports is an important one. So I suppose that this is why we are uh, strongly supported. Um, and there, there are two angles here. One is how France can contribute to to the future of sport globally and, and give our voice to the international conversation and that's a very important part of it. The second one is maybe more pragmatic or commercial, I should mm. say. It's because we need to uh, push and promote uh, sports uh, business, a uh, French sports business in the world and that's an opportunity to do so. It's taking place at the Louvre, so then you're, you're putting quite a kind of not just a Parisian spin on it, but also very much putting it in a context that's not, you know, it's not a sports venue that you're going to, you're going to yeah, a cultural venue. But when you look at sport in Paris in a, in a cultural context, if you, you have things that obviously the NBA is, is going to France in... Just a in, few days before the Global Sports Weekend. Yeah, in, in end of January. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have that in itself as kind of a powerful cultural force as much as it's a powerful sports league. Um, but you also have other brands that are beginning to lean on Paris as a, you wouldn't say more as a, as a cultural center, but certainly as much as a cultural center as it is a, a sports center. When you think of, you know, PSG switching, uh, from Nike to, to Jordan brand and, and doing all of these kind of 
fashion collaborations. I mean, is that something that we're going to expect to see more of? Is that going to be kind of at the core of Paris's assets as a well, as a sports city in the next few years? Well, hopefully, yes. This is something that we would like to provide. As I mentioned before, I mentioned the French flair, the French touch. We've referred to fashion. Actually, the fashion week is very often hosted at the Carousel, where we are in the Louvre, where you have a lot of catwalk. Mm. There is a there is a will to um, have Paris as a place for creativity in all elements, and I think that sports also needs creativity, new ideas, uh, new uh, technology being developed for sports, and all those elements can definitely come from a cultural uh, support that happens in Paris, which is quite open city and and very uh, vibrant. It's true that um, we have always been influential in some of those creative industries. Fashion is one. Uh, we believe that now that sports has such an important role in the way people live, it becomes a pillar of lifestyle. Mm. And it's not just the sports performance, it's also how people would live with sports in their, in their day-to-day life. Uh, that is definitely... Uh, a great opportunity for France to play a bigger role mm. in, in this uh, new horizon for sports. Yeah. I mean, had the fact that, as we talked about, France is an administrative power, an administrative centre in sport, had that affected the way that people thought about sport as a, as a lifestyle, as an industry? Was there a conservatism around the expression of it, around the, around the, the kind of business side of it that, that's changing now? or? I mean, I think this is global. I think that sports is traditional. The way sports is governed uh, promotes uh, more tradition than modernity. Even the way you get elected to get to the highest uh, role and responsibilities means that you need to be a seasoned person. It's not really the moment where you will hire the younger executive to do that, but more people coming from a political background. So at the end of the day, France is not different from the others for that. Um, I think that in France, you have had a lot of creativity at every moment that there was a possibility to do something new and fresh, there was a, it was tested. If you remember the um, opening ceremony of the uh, Albertville Games, it was driven by a very, very creative director, uh, Philippe de Coufflet, who completely um, broke the rules and created a very, very à la Cirque du Soleil kind of um, ceremony. Uh, and that was the, the first one of its kind. It was very uh, entertaining, very creative, less protocolor. Paris, during the, um, during the World Cup, sorry, there was the Yves Saint Laurent um, fashion show to open it up. There was that mm. sort of things. So I think that there is always a, um, a will to be creative, to provide something. But so far, it was more punctual. It was more, okay, let's do something because the event is coming to us. And let's, let's contribute to the way sport is going to be consumed all over the world because we thought uh, humbly that that was more the role of global assets like the, pre, the, the English Premier League, for example, mm. or the International Federation ruled by more Anglo-Saxon um, uh, driver, and France was less influential. I think that now there is a will to be more part of that, and that is a change in, 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 our, um, in our ambition, I suppose. Yeah. Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else.
get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Coming into, into this venture, you've gone through Havas and you've gone through Vivendi, which, which owns Havas. What, what are your reflections on, on that journey now? What, what's it taught you about the role of the agency in, in the sports industry? Um, first of all, sports and entertainment was not seen as one, and step by step people realized that it was the same mechanism of passion. And when you are passionate about music, about sports, or about uh, uh, movies, uh, your uh, behavior is driven in the same way, and every um, element that shapes your identity or drive your consumption habits are um, responding to the same mechanism. So mm -hmm. that's something that came over time, and agencies played a critical role in understanding that. And then it helped the industry to recognize sports and entertainment as a whole. And that's the first thing. The second thing that this whole was quite nice to have. It was like a cherry on the cake, especially from a brand investment perspective. And then step by step, people realized that it was certainly one of the most efficient way to engage people. This world of consumer engagement became crucial when people realized that uh, the traditional advertising break where you break the flow of program that people are watching or listening and pushing some commercial offering in the middle of something else was not working as well as before because mm. people were not responding to this overexposure of carpet bomb mm. uh, ads and they were more looking for something that they liked and they were more uh, inclined to follow their passion and the passion driven uh, marketing started to become more and more seriously um, considered by uh, marketers and agencies. And so what I've seen over those years is that uh, this sports entertainment platform became more and more uh, relevant for brands to uh, invest in, I mean third-party brands. And in the same time, it became more and more robust in terms of their own ecosystem because obviously people started to consume more and more content in the, on the back of the technology uh, revolution with those many devices that helps you to con con consume this content anywhere, everywhere, anytime. And because of that, this industry became richer and bigger mm. and requested more and more sophistication in terms of marketing. So from both sides, I think that marketing became more and more important in the world of sports and entertainment. And uh, it's quite uh, exciting because that was part of why I started this journey 30 years ago, more or less. When I was in a business school, I thought, well, this can be bigger. I didn't think that it be, would become that big. Uh, but it's quite exciting to have seen along my uh, path that uh, every year, every decade, it became a bigger and more important topic for everyone involved. So it's, mm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite exciting. Yeah, but you've then, you've then gone on to, to Vivendi and obviously looked at, looked at that from the other side. Yeah, from the industry side. Yeah. yeah. What's that told you about, I suppose, for one thing, where sport and entertainment is different, not just, not just kind of fundamentally, but um, in terms of the, the phases that they're going through in, in, in digital disruption and, and everything else that, that you kind of alluded to there? Uh, yes, so there are different things. Well, on the one hand, sports is not really different because I think that everybody lives in the same world and... Uh, and then when you look at the major stakeholders of sports, especially the, the leaders of each industry, they are, they are delivering state-of-the-art um, proposition for the fans and for the, um, their, their consumer bases. And it's, there is nothing 
less sophisticated than yeah. in the entertainment industry, obviously. There is something different in the way the story uh, is shaped and told because sports think that it is self-sufficient. In a way, the live um, beauty of sports that doesn't exist in entertainment, everything is scripted in entertainment, mm -hmm. more or less, except if you have a music festival and you play live, but actually you play uh, songs that are already written, <laughs> which is not the case of a football match, for example football game. But what happens is because there is so much need to fulfill the expectations of fans uh, when you are in the entertainment world where you need to think about how to uh, create the tension, the interest, the uh, emotion, then there are a lot of talents that are gathered by the entertainment industry to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And in sports, you don't have this talent in the industry. It comes from the outside. It comes from the video gaming industry that will provide some element of creativity to make the FIFA game what it is. Mm. But it doesn't come from the sports. When you are organizing a tournament, when you are organizing a championship, when you are uh, governing a, a league, a professional league, you don't have that many creative minds around. And as I said, it's, a, it's all about content that people can consume mm. and be uh, exposed to. And I think that this is where there is a big difference and what I learned from the entertainment industry is that this is where in the entertainment industry all the value comes from. The creativity uh, leads to the intellectual property that helps to uh, develop an ecosystem of uh, assets that are connecting with the IP and the way you nurture that and create attraction would lead to the launch of your product and the um, uh, the scale up of your property through different licensings and so forth. Yeah, you have a little bit of the same in terms of mechanics, but the way you nurture the brand in sports is different. You count on the excitement of live, as I mentioned before, and performance. It's still very far behind in terms of creating a universal on the IP. It's mm. starting, and more. It's more on the branding side than on the story and the narrative side. So, and what drives Entertainment is the narrative side. Yeah. When you have a brand, you have Mickey Mouse, yes, but if you don't have great stories, then the kids are not going to be interested. Yeah. So in sports, we rely on the real stories, but we don't support them enough, in my mind. We don't help those stories to fly higher and be uh, reshaped uh, uh, and, 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 and spinned off. And, you know, in, in the uh, entertainment, you have the great story and then you have the sequel and then you and sometimes you even have the prequel that comes yeah. later in sports we just wait for the life and then comment on the life and there is a lot of possibilities learning from the entertainment industry to grow the properties the ips the excitement of people around the stories that are real or that can be a little bit uh, helped yeah around sports uh, assets yeah. yeah i mean obviously you know, live rights are the, the kind of lifeblood of uh, financially of, of, of sport around the world, and it's it's for, hard to know how you for, you now, the, for, for now. now. So, how do you make that transition? How do you get to that point where they're managing IP in in that way that they are in in film and music? I think you need to invest in talent that are going to build your brand in a dynamic way, meaning stories, narratives, creating option for fans to uh, get the backstory, the the, the everything around the live moment because this live moment is less important to the new generation than it mm. used to be. What they do is they pick 
the best moment just a, a few minutes later, but that's not live, and they pick it up when it's already edited as highlights, the best moment in this game or that game, and they share it. That means that this element of content should be considered as more valuable for that audience than the live, yeah. which is not reflected in the commercial deals yeah. today. Yeah. So I guess that the right owners could prepare next step by remastering uh, the story that they let to other people to create and be more uh, protective, but being more proactive as well, not just protecting for doing nothing, just creating things, and then selling those assets as much as the Disney of this world are selling IP-driven content, but they're not giving away the characters for people to do what they want with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, what could happen. And so those the right owners, if they start having their own content factory with the right talent and a proper strategy, because it, that request, it's not just tactical, it's not, not just to react on what happens, it's also to anticipate based on, I mean, you've played so many championships, you know what's going to happen in championship, mm. so you can prepare and be ready to have a kind of a real-time factory with a lot of elements that are already prepared, and you can then accompany the live or the quasi-live giving much more value on the quasi-life versus just the feed that you sell, which is very punctual, mm. and which value might uh, decrease in the, in the future. Because yeah. it does not drive commercial transformation as it did with the new generation. That's the risk. Yeah, so who's, who's playing in that space then? Are we talking about a bigger role for brands and uh, sponsorship? Are we talking about direct monetization between it could be teams or it could be leagues with their fans? Um, are we talking about the media company still being involved in that transaction? Well, I think the media company will still, uh, uh, as long as they still exist, <laughs> uh, in, but, but they are going to exist, but in a different model. And when you look at uh, people who in the UK, in the US, sorry, it's a, it's a very advanced, the, the model has already shifted faster. Mm. So you see the big channels creating platforms. Uh, OTT platforms, mm. okay? So they are not uh, investing in the traditional uh, network, they're investing on OTT. OTT means that people are going to be offered the different content the way they want, so they are going to invest as network, as, as a holding company, more in the content production than just in the distribution of, uh, of shows or the, the acquisition of uh, third-party rights, mm. which means that the media might be interested to uh, yes, co-develop IP with uh, right owners, but in a co-production concept more than the right uh, acquisition concept, yeah. which is a different way. Netflix has started this journey. I think that the example of the Formula One uh, series is an interesting start, but it's very small compared to what it can become. Yeah. And it's quite popular. And looking at it in a different context, one of the things to bring the, the conversation back around to, to Paris and to 2024, when we're, when we're talking about those games, there's already been a lot of conversation around the more participative elements with the mass participation marathon and digital participation that you know we'll, we'll, I'm sure, learn more about over the next couple of years. And also events that happen much more in the public space, like breakdancing and, uh, and, and three-on-three basketball and that kind of thing. Are we going to start seeing ways that that IP as you see it is is not just a media consumption thing it's an experiential thing and it's you know you're, you're beginning to understand 
what sport means in that context of, across all of those you know, different ways of, of, of enjoying it. Well, I think this is, coming back to the Global Sports Week, this is one of the things that we'd like to do is to have uh, people that are driving sports to be exposed to other uh, industry where some things happened before. So in this case, I think that there are some entertainment propositions that have already seized this opportunity of experiential um, uh, models and interactive models, including um, the digital connection that give um, power to the fan to be part of the, the story and the show. And for that, I think that uh, it, it's very cool that the Paris 24 team is uh, uh, innovating in that field because I think that sports absolutely and desperately need to stick with this new trend because the younger generation are quite excited by whoever is offering them these possibilities. Mm -hmm. So when it is the gaming industry, they are fully involved in that is shown in the amazing success of the likes of Fortnite, for example, where people can really contribute, participate. It's not just watching, it's really mm. uh, uh, playing by themselves. And eSport is one, a spin-off of gaming, which is quite intriguing for sports because they are uh, putting in place the, right, the, the professional competition that people would watch. But as they are also players, exactly like sports in a way, but as players watching a professional competition, they can have a stronger say during the competition with digital inter interaction. And that's the kind of model that uh, I suppose that comes from the gaming industry that goes back to sports. Uh, there are other examples of the uh, music industry with the streaming models and other kind of interaction that also personalize the way you can have access to your best and favorite entertainment assets mm. in this case it's uh, songs and, and, and bands but in the case of sports there is not yet this kind of solution that has been offered to the public yeah. interestingly enough when you answer, when you uh, research Gen Z about sports one of the biggest questions that you can uh, listen to is when do you offer us the Spotify of sports that's what we want Yeah. <laughs> so the question is an interesting one the answer is not simple well, it's impossible, probably, in, in, in the current model where, you know, that's going to That's mean. exactly what the, media the music media industry said to Napster yeah. before being disrupted and losing half of its value for the 10 years to come. Yeah. And then the Napster model came back and they contributed to it instead of fighting it. And now everybody's rich again. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. It's what people perceive is that it is impossible. But I think that this is where, in a place like the Global Sports Week, there are things that could be discussed. How you get from here to there. Basically. Yeah, it won't change overnight, but at least if we start yeah. the, con the discussion and you don't uh, hide the, su the topic and think that it is for the next generation of leaders, in fact, it is for the generation of leaders of today to prepare what is going to uh, uh, fulfill the expectation of the new generation of consumer because they're already there. Yeah. That's the moment they are shaping their favorite leisure and where they want to invest their time and money. Paris hands off in Olympic terms, Paris hands off to Los Angeles in, in 2028. But a lot of the things that you're talking about, media trends and, and distribution and, and the kind of the franchising of IP yeah. and all yeah. that stuff, you're talking as well about Hollywood coming to Europe and, and, and the European-based sports industry and as well as the obvious partnership between the US sports industry and, 
uh, and the European one. How important is that partnership between the US and France going to be in, in, in achieving the potential of, of French sport? I think it's, it's a very, very good question. And I think it's a very, very interesting opportunity for, for France to team up with the US. We have the, uh, um, our, our advantage is to be there as soon as 24. 28 is far away uh, by a startup standard. It's a light year, I suppose. Uh, so it's good for them to be real quickly. And I think that for Paris, there is a lot to gain in uh, collaborating with Los Angeles early on, offering LA to test elements, but also gaining from their, as you said, their leadership in the entertainment world. And I think there is really something quite exciting there. I think that it could be um, a way also to connect to uh, industry. You know, there are many uh, investors from the U.S. that have picked France as quite an um, undervalued market, which mm. is the truth. In football, for example, they invested in Marseille, in Bordeaux, in the Paris um, basketball club as well. Uh, I think there are other uh, investors from the U.S. that are looking into uh, the uh, possibility to use some of the know-how in France. The last example is uh, Canal Plus and Netflix that have put together uh, a partnership Instead of fighting against each other, there is now a, re uh, a mutual recognition of what could be provided. And it's true that there are um, opportunities both ways. So for France, it's an opportunity, because we have those big events coming up, to have a different role than maybe the traditional role that France would have in the industry. Mm. It's a great... Um, uh, it's a great advantage to be played uh, at that moment of time. Yeah, and is that going to be reflected as well in, in in what we see commercially from Paris 2024 and some of the uh, the partnerships you think that, that that come out of that event and some of the I would, companies that come into the country as that, a result? That would be my bet. I am not uh, in charge of Paris 24 sure. uh, sponsorship uh, policy, strategy, and so forth. I, I know them and I really respect what they do. They they shape something in the long in the long run, so they want to do it in the step by step. They are not rushing, so I think that um, uh, as part of the um, vision for the long run, uh, aligning some of the sponsors with the U.S. potential is is very mm. uh, is a very clever way. I, I wish they would do that. I, I'm not sure, but I I hope they will because it's a great it's a great uh, it's a great option. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time and you, you have a, a, a train to catch but for all the talk about the opportunities that an event like the Olympic Games can bring to developing the industry of course there's you know a social uh, element to all of this and a, a, a kind of you think about having the state's involvement in this event and, and everything else what how do you put that social consciousness social obligation into action first and center i think that this is not an option anymore i think we we run out of time vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the new generation that are so conscious about what doesn't work in our model it's properly broken and i think that sport has all uh, legitimacy to really grab this faster and 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 more centrally than any other. Yeah. I think that and of one of the sport things as well began as a, a kind of community. It's exactly that. So it's in the DNA of sport. It's mm. not something that you are trying to to stretch like uh, the, the social washing, the social greenwashing of things. I think that social uh, social is at the heart of sports by definition. And it's time for sports business to uh, acknowledge that 
and 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 prioritize this as part of the population. It's been always there, but sometimes it's played minor in in minor. It needs to come back at the center because the new generation is so sensitive to that, and they are right. So at the Global Source Week, we are going to make a big space for that element to be really not just something on top of the business, but something at the core of the business. It's changing the proposition. What we think is it's business with purpose. Because if you do that, it's much stronger, it's much more efficient, but your business is going to be much more resilient as well. Because the right, the, the truth is that the new generation is very difficult or they will be very demanding on the one that are not taking this route. And we believe that sports can do it. So you can't pretend, you need to do it properly, and it's a good um, competitive edge. So the good news is that if you align good and business good, then you can be very strong. So that's one of the big shifts. Uh, and we, we believe that uh, from climate cha- shift to uh, equality shift to social shift, this is the moment to really recognize those changes in people's expectations. Because the thing is, as everyone, uh, anybody uh, depend on its audience, on its consumers, on its fans. Uh, and that's where, when those people, fans, the consumers, the audience, they definitely have changed their perception, the expectations. You need to align, otherwise you are going to be rejected because there are competition around. Sports is not a bubble. We can be um, overshadowed by other proposition that could be more uh, meaningful. So that's a very critical element. Thanks very much, Lucien. You're welcome. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you again to Lucien Bouet for his uh, his thoughts there. Uh, some very interesting and refreshing stuff. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about Global Sports Week in the months ahead. And um, we'll certainly be hearing plenty more about France and its role in the international sports industry. Right, I'm going to leave you with an interview with Marissa Pace, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at World Rugby. Rugby World Cup, of course, into its second week and... Stephen MP, Sports Pro Senior Reporter, is out on the ground in Japan. He'll be there for the next couple of weeks. We'll be getting his thoughts at some stage during that time. Steve got on the line with Marissa to talk about some of the ways in which World Rugby is trying to build awareness of the event uh, and build on the momentum around the event, not just in Japan, but around the world, uh, looking at its media strategy, its marketing strategy, and so on. Steve was talking to Marissa as well in the wake of Japan's stunning win over one of the favourites for the tournament, Ireland, in Shizuoka on Saturday. Uh, so, of course, that's where they begin the conversation. That's where we'll pick it up. Um, and I will leave you with those two and look forward to speaking to you next week. Bye-bye. Did you have a chance to, to take in the uh, the Japan-Ireland game while you are in Dublin? Yeah, 100%. Um, it was, uh, I, was, I was taking it in from, from my home office, so that wasn't uh, too difficult. Um, alongside my laptop, it was a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience because my team back in Tokyo were sending me video clips of the celebration, and part of the team was wearing Japanese jerseys, and part of the team was wearing Irish jerseys, so it was nice to see. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see that um, that relationship between fans, especially in a, Jap- uh, a Japanese tournament that's um, had a lot of expectation and anticipation around it over the, the, the uh, I suppose, the last decade. Uh, since it was announced, but in the last few years, certainly. Um, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what it means for World Rugby to have 
a tournament in such a, uh, a sort of diverse um, part of the world and, and, and a new one for, for rugby union as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really, I think the biggest takeaway from, from, from our perspective is that it's shown us how to be a truly international organization from a marketing communications perspective to make sure that um, we've integrated our cultures and our sentiments and, and make sure that we're capturing that, that Japanese way of, of, of life and, and the way they um, work through rugby. They have an incredibly rich rugby history, um, so that's been really important. We, um, we as a result, also, we uh, operate fully in four languages, including Japanese. Um, and we've just got a very small core team that, that works hard um, with all the regions, including Japan now, uh, not just to you know translate content, but to offer what's what's relevant to the audiences and territories. Um, two years ago, our our, our website um, goals were uh, to grow our Japanese audience by fifty percent, and we've reached that goal many times over since then. So Japan's been the second highest country for us in terms of traffic uh, to our website and to our app, right. and that's something our our team should be really proud of. Um, absolutely, and it's. Um... It's obviously leaving a legacy for a new part of the world, as as you mentioned too. Is I've been following the uh, um, some of the Instagram stories and your and your your work on social media, and it it seems to have focused on a, a sort of a, a cultural element. I, I saw some 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 nice footage, sort of like combining some of the games with um, the old cartoon show Dragon Ball Z, and and uh, some animations around the graphics and and just different data available to fans um such as different angles and, and different um in-game data using the highlights is, is that been something that's been purposefully done from your side 100 percent um i joined world rugby in january and obviously they had been as you mentioned 10 years in the process of, or nine years at that point in the process of, of uh, working to host this tournament but one of my big um points is to make sure that our content is very much aligned to our audience and bringing that together. So our broadcast team, our digital social teams now all work hand in hand together. And they spent the summer uh, working with our agencies to make sure that we, we captured that Japanese spirit and that element. So I'm glad you picked up on the, you know, the cultural elements that we're trying to push through on, on our platform that it's important to us and that it's not in any way, um, mocking of the society and the culture work hand in hand with our colleagues again at the JRFU mm-hmm. to ensure that you know it's socially sensitive. I mean I think that's that's what's been a, a key takeaway so far this tournament uh, especially being here and, and, and seeing fans sort of in, embracing some of that culture as well not just the fans but the, the teams as well. Is, is that part of your legacy beyond the tournament uh, and, and the final on November the, the 2nd to be able to um, leave a mark on, on, on a, a region that is is growing uh, a new rugby fan base, especially a, uh, one around um, a, a national team that's proving quite um, successful at, at these tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, World Rugby has a very strong vision on inclusivity and on grassroots rugby and leaving a legacy. So we have the Impact Beyond program um, and several other initiatives that make sure we don't just show up and host a tournament and then leave, but that there's a really strong rugby culture that we can then build on in that region. Um, and that goes very much for, for our um, future marketing and communications and digital and social approach um, in Japan and in Asia as a whole. 
will, will continue that on well beyond, I mean, just into infinity, really. Uh, and that's really important to us. Um, also in the region, it was announced before the uh, before the tournament was was this um, th- this access to your over the top service at, uh, at World Rugby, and uh, from from your announcement, it, it appears that that's to um, engage with parts of Asia that don't have broadcast deals. On 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 the top of that, I mean, is 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 that important to be able to 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 uh, give different regions access to the tournament that perhaps haven't traditionally watched it in the past? Yeah. You know, my, my philosophy on that is, and really is on, on everything that we do on a marketing and, and communications level, is to get rugby into as many homes, as many phones, as many platforms, and in front of as many eyeballs as we possibly can. Um, I think on the broadcast side, we've, we've just launched a, a new online video player on our websites and our app. So in the territories that don't have broadcast rights, they can view... Uh, what they the, the content from the Rugby World Cup. This time, I think we were a bit of a victim of our own success in that towards the end, um, just as we're about to launch the tournament, we, we signed a few new broadcast deals. And, of course, our broadcast partners are very important to us because they help us promote the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't able to get it into as many territories as we want to. But that's not to say that we won't do that in the future with all our other tournaments. I would like to um, uh, discuss uh, World Rugby's digital reach as well, uh, especially um, considering your uh, your your uh, relationship, your, your new relationship with TikTok as well, and what what that's bringing to the the tournament. Um, it's it's engaging younger audiences as well. Is it, it was it was that key part to to that uh, that partnership? Yeah, TikTok. I mean, is also a very strong platform in Asia, as you would know, um, and a very I mean very young demographic. I think they're trending around ages 13 to 17 as their primary um, fan base. So for us to get on there is a complete departure of what we've done traditionally. And I think that's the approach that we decided um, come Rugby World Cup. We decided that we'd take a, a risk and offer some edgier content that we've ever done. Um, you know, we just don't want to be a highlights reel. And, and it's clearly paid off, you know, on the TikTok platform, on Snapchat, with our uh, Rugby World Cup daily show. Our, our objective is to show just how fun rugby is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a traditional sport, we might be victims of our own success sometimes and our own image. But this is where these new platforms come through um, for us. And, and they've been delivering tremendous results. Is, is that a key to the future success of, of big stages like this, to, to be able to adapt and, and, and use new platforms and stay abreast of that, that those New technologies, I mean, that, that must be a huge part of what you do. Absolutely. You know, it's just the old adage, because I fish, it's fish where the fish are. You have to you have to present the, the, the content that people want to consume, and, and that's ever-changing. We can't just stick with the traditional platforms anymore. We have to adopt uh, what people's schedules are, where they're consuming content, how they're consuming content. And I think, I mean, every international sports federation's objective is to seed the next generation of viewers and and we're taking that very seriously. So taking the risk, and, and so far it looks like it's it's paying off in spades. We're getting great feedback on our on our new approach. I suppose closer to the tournament and and um, seeing its influence on the ground. And um, one of the um, more inspiring stories is the story of Kamashi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in in the northern prefectures. Um, I'm just wondering if you can tell us about the decision to to go to the region, um, considering it's 
the the impact of the 2011 earthquake and tsunami had on the on the on the area and and why why that's so significant for the tournament? Yeah, I believe it's uh, I believe it's pronounced Kamaishi, but Kamaishi. I'm no expert in Japanese. Sure. Um, you know, as far as the operational level, I, I can't comment comment so much on those decisions because they were done pre my time. But I know that my colleagues have put in a tremendous amount of work to put on those spectacular games with the host organizing committee and the local Kamaishi rugby clubs. Um, what I'll say from a, a social and content perspective is that there were just some beautiful moments there exposing our core values, you know, that showed themselves. And I think our broadcast team and, and our digital team did a phenomenal job showing what, what rugby meant to that city and how much it contributed to sort of lifting the spirits of, of that, that terrible event back in 2011 and just how it all came together in, in the last couple of games there. I mean, on on a broader scale, what, what do you think that means for the uh, the tournament's future as a whole? I mean, in in the sense that it is moving into um, areas that may in the past wouldn't have been um, a host city or, or part of a tournament, and and engaging with new audiences in um, in different areas. I appreciate this is a extraordinary situation that 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 occurred in in the region, but. Um, the experience it is given to those those people is is that something a lesson that can be learned for future tournaments? Do you feel, Phil? Yeah, our 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 objective in selecting um, competition hosts and host cities for these events um, isn't to go for the biggest stadiums or the most popular markets. You know, Japan, Japan um, twenty nineteen is case in point of all that. Mm-hmm. We'll 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 continue to look for new and interesting markets that'll help us grow the sport in these next gen countries. And, and that's from grassroots right up to World Cup, and, and that's where you know a city like Kamaishi comes into play, and so many others on on the other circuits that we and the other tournaments that we host. Absolutely. Um, I'm just wondering if you can uh, just tell us a little bit about. Uh, uh, do you have any information on how the uh, the tournament is uh, transpiring digitally? Is it, uh, have, you, have you got any figures around your your new partnership with TikTok and 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 what what you hope to achieve by the end of the the tournament in a few weeks' time? Yeah, the, the first round is um, is now complete. Um, we haven't released all the figures just yet. Our, our One of our uh, most successful platforms has obviously been um, TikTok. We have a relationship with Giffy um, that has given us tremendous exposure to uh, the RWC Giffy's that we've, we've um, put out. We've got uh, over a million views on our uh, YouTube channel with between the highlights and the Rugby World Cup um, daily show that we put out every day, which is a, a great uh, daily snippet, I'd say. It's 10, 10 minutes of, of edgy content with the host, um, Elma Smith, who uh, takes you through not just the rugby parts of what the tournament is about, but also the experiential pieces um, of what it's like to be in Japan for as long as we are right now. Um, so we're doing, you know, we're, we're just trying to move the ball in every direction and and hopefully by the end of the tournament, we're going to have some amazing numbers for you. But really what's most important to me is what does that do uh, for our audience and, and how is that getting them to come back to our uh, platforms and our website and our app. So that, that's what we're working towards. 